French, the French system is also notoriously quite harsh. <laughs> so getting like a 60, 80%, so like a 14 or a 12 is not that bad. Hey, college kids, welcome back to my podcast, Who Cares About College? In today's episode, I'll be interviewing Margarita. So if you could introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Margarita. I'm a uh, Spanish-Italian, um, but I grew up in New York City, and I go to Brown University. I'm now a junior studying philosophy and political science. All right, so you kind of went into it already, but can you quickly share your um, race, as at least how you were applying your race, your gender, and your socioeconomic status? Like, you know, I guess low-income, middle-class, upper-middle, high-class. Um, so... I identify as female. I use she, her, hers pronouns. Um, I, uh, I'm Spanish Italian. So, but I grew up in New York city. So I think I applied, I I'm white. Um, but it is a little complicated in the United States because they do ask you if you're Hispanic or Latino and they include Spanish in that. So I guess I applied as Hispanic parentheses Spanish, um, which is different from Hispanic parentheses Latin America. Um, and then, I think I'd qualify as either middle or upper middle class. Um, so meaning I got like either very little or no financial aid. Um, but that was still a big factor in how I chose colleges. We'll probably talk about that later. <laughs> yep. So you were telling me a little bit earlier, the school that you went to was a bit different. So can you at least describe to us the kind of school that you went to? And you said you didn't have exactly a GPA. So can you explain how they... I guess, arrange their curriculum in comparison to a normal high school? Yeah, I went to a French school in New York City, which means that I followed um, the French system. So I followed the exact type, uh, same type of schooling as any other teenager in France would. Um, so I had the baccalauréat instead of like AP and honors classes. Um, so, and which means I was also graded a little bit different. It's out of 20 instead of out of 100. Um, French, the French system is also notoriously quite harsh. <laughs> so getting like a 60, 80%, so like a 14 or a 12 is not that bad. Whereas I know that like getting a 60% in the U.S. is fail, <laughs> failing that class. Um, so my high school was a little bit different and all of those um, different factors had to be prorated or like um, translated or switched over when I did want to apply to American schools. And is there a reason why you or your family decided to put you in a, into a French school in high school? Was it something you did throughout elementary and middle and you just continued it into? Yeah, I, I always went to a French school. Um, I'm not French, but the French system is quite rigorous and also quite similar to the Spanish-Italian one. Um, and when I was a little kid, my parents didn't know if I'd stay in the United States uh, my whole life or if we'd go back to Europe. So um, ever since elementary school, I was in a French school and I just stayed there um, until I graduated. Okay. And as for the grading system or like, I guess, how they do the advanced placement courses, can you describe the kind, what was the name you gave for the advanced courses? Um, so there aren't advanced courses actually in the French system. Um, all of our courses, we basically have no freedom. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, everyone has to take four years of math, four years of English, four years of French, four years of the second and third language, four years of science. There's no choice. Um, and there aren't really, they do separate you sometimes, like there is a, 
a more rigorous class and a less rigorous class for like math sometimes. Um, but that's also not something we choose. We're just placed into it and it doesn't even show up differently in our transcripts. So we didn't really have what um, I know in a lot of American schools, there's like AP and honors and regular yeah. classes. We didn't have any of that. So it was all standardized. You guys, we, everyone just took the same classes in the same grade? Yeah, more or less. You did have an element of choice where you could choose if you wanted to do more literary stuff, more scientific stuff, or more um, poli-sci econ stuff. Um, but that just impacted how many hours of that class you had. So you'd have more math hours, like mm -hmm. five instead of three. Um, that didn't actually impact how it showed up on your transcript as honors or APs or whatever. Everything did look kind of standard. Okay. And when you were, I guess when they switched it, when you were applying to American schools, actually I have one more question. When you're going to a school like you or like you did a French school, that caught that was like mirroring the French system or just any other school like that. Do you like, I don't know, do schools in France recognize your high school when they have like applicants? Is that like normal for people at your school to apply to schools in France? Yeah, I think um, maybe uh, I want to say a third of my school stayed in the United States, but the others either a, a substantial amount went to Canada because they also have a French American oh. culture there. And then I say a third, go back to France or like Spain, Italy, Germany, UK is a big one as well. Mm -hmm. So like 75, 70% of people went back to Europe and then the rest stayed here in the US. Yeah. Okay. So let's go on to your grades. You said the scaling was quite different at your school, but when they translated mm -hmm. it to the, I guess, the American system, what did your GPA or your overall grade so, to be? So when it was translated... Um, my grades, which were numbers. So it was, like I said, it was graded out of 20 and your final would, grade would be like 14 or 16 or 15. Um, if it was a 14 or above, you automatically had an A plus. So I ended up with straight A's or straight A pluses. Um, but a lot of people in my school did. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, mo a, a substantial amount of people in my, in my school ended up with 4.0s because they kind of overcorrected the translation the French system is so harsh that when you translate it, it's, it almost becomes too lenient. Why is um, it so I, harsh? Like, like you said, a 14 out of 20, <laughs> like a, we would freak out if we got that here. But why is that normal? Like, do they give you a um, lot of work? Is the material really advanced? Yeah, I think the expectation there, I think it's, it comes down to cultural differences. I think in France, you want to be really tough on the students and kind of challenge them with the assumption that they won't be able to do everything that's on the test. But in trying to do things, you challenge them to kind of like figure things out for themselves. Um, and yeah, I think it's just a very big cultural difference. Um, just people are more rigorous or a little bit more harsh abroad. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, that's amazing. Okay. So when, and I just have to ask when you're taking your courses and when a college, when a college sees your transcript for us, they know like, oh, this person took six APs, this person took nine APs when they were viewing your transcript and they, if you know, cause you don't know what the college admissions officer said, right. But when they're viewing your transcript and they saw that you went to a French school, obviously the stuff is translated, but in terms of like the classes, how do they know how rigorous your classes were? If there's no label on them, like AP honor GT or IV? That's a great question. Um, a lot of it comes down to the fact that um, 
admissions officers know our school, or at the very least, they know different schooling systems. The French one is kind of notoriously, it's kind of like the IB, the International mm-hmm. Baccalaureate. If you do the IB, that's also seen as quite rigorous. Um, and so I think my experience kind of highlights the fact that you shouldn't worry too much if you're in an unconventional school where you don't have APs or honors. Um, admissions officers know about that. They know about the differences. And even the fact that, for example, in my school, so many people ended up with pretty high GPAs because of the conversion. That was maybe not the um, most accurate conversion. Um, Again, admissions officers know about that, right? If you have a 3.5 from a really, really tough school where no one has a 4.0, they're going to not take that 3.5 and look at it negatively. They're going to think it's a positive and vice versa. If everyone has a 4.0, like in my case, they're also going to underscore that element of your application a little bit. So I don't think people should worry too much about that. <laughs> so you, the basically college that you were applying to kind of knew of your school at least and how they how the system went? Yeah. If not my school, definitely the French system. Um, there's international application officers um, who know about most countries that usually apply. Um, mm-hmm. Turkey, Lebanon, France, UK, the, at least the, the very common ones. Um, so yeah, they knew either of my school or of the French system in general. Very interesting. And let's go on to SAT, ACT. You did say you took one of those, did it? You said that, right? I took the SAT. Okay. So with the SAT, what kind of preparations did you do? When did you start your preparations? And then in the end, what was your super score? Um, so I um, did not have a very conventional SAT experience either. <laughs> My parents, um, being immigrants, did not know anything about the SAT and were just like, figure it out. So I just got a textbook and studied. I, I was on Khan Academy and then I had this like practice book with some practice SATs. Um, I spent, I never had like a tutor or anything. Um, and I spent maybe like one month over the summer, just like really, um, practicing at it. And then my school would host some in-person practice tests, um, like every other month. But other than that, I just studied that one month in uh, summer kind of rigorously and then took it. I got a 1550 and never took it again. On your first try, you got a 1550? Yeah. Oh, wow. And you just say you just you just did Han Academy and went into the in-person tests at your school? Yeah. All right. And those were really helpful. I think testing yourself on like real-time conditions really helps. And that's great. A 1550 on your first try. That's like only a couple wrong. Okay. Honestly, the, um, I, I don't know how much of your demographic is non-American, but for the non-Americans out there, I think one of the more difficult things was um, if you do schooling not in English, so like math, for example, I'd always done it in French. It was just the translation that was kind of difficult doing math in English for the first time and realizing like, oh, these terms don't mean the same thing. This theorem is different in English as opposed to um, French, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably the hardest part, honestly. So you did your entire schooling in French and then did you guys have like one English class throughout the day? Yeah, we had English class, which was in English, obviously. And then as you got older, you could choose to take certain classes like history, geography. You could choose to take it in English or in French, but you were still learning mainly French history. That's oh, so you were learning. Okay, that's, that's amazing. This is fascinating. I've never heard of such like <laughs> schools, like international schools, but in the United States. Okay, so before we get on to other parts like the extracurriculars and your actual application, when you were going into um, high school, 
did you have any expectation? Like, did you ever set your mind on like, oh, I want to go to a top university in America. Oh, I want to consider going to France and doing schooling there or going to Canada and doing university there. Like what, what were you thinking when you came into high school? So because the, because university in the U S is so expensive, um, I kind of approached it. Like if I get into a top university in the United States, it's also my parents who were saying this. <laughs> my parents were saying if I got into a top university in the United States that they'd pay for it. But if it wasn't a top university, then I should just go back to Europe where it's free or at least extremely cheap. Um, so I always went into it applying uh, under the guise of like, I'll apply to great schools in the US. And then my quote unquote safeties that weren't that safety, <laughs> they were all abroad. So mainly UK, I applied in the UK and then in the US as like my quote unquote reach schools, I guess. Mm-hmm. And were there any sort of standardized tests or requirements that you needed to do for these international schools, like, you know, UK or um, other countries in Europe? So the French baccalaureate is like our end of year exam, end of high school exam. It's like the British A-levels. I don't know if you know what those are. But I like, cannot understand them for the life of me. <laughs> they're just these end of year exams. Um, that is, again, quite rigorous. Just to pass it, you need a 50%. So most people <laughs> get, you know, 50, 60, 70% is not that bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. In fact, if you get an 80%, you get a, um, if you get a 16 out of 20, you get like a, a mention that says very well done. So like 80% yeah. is very well. I even see yeah. that universities for people in the UK, they're like, oh my God, I got a 70 on my... Yeah, final exactly. grade I'm like is that good is that is that acceptable it is it's yeah and so based on the way that it works in the UK I think this might I don't, I don't know if you guys know this but um this is very unconventional for U.S. schools so I think it might be kind of surprising they use that final grade as a condition so they'll say we accept you on the condition that you get a 15 on your final baccalaureate and so I have some friends who didn't reach that condition and couldn't end up going to the college that they wanted to. Um, what do they make that condition based off of? How do they determine the number for you? So they know what your average is before. Like my oh, average okay. in high school was like 18 or 19 or whatever. And then they're like, based on that, your final baccalaureate grade should be 15 or 16 or 12, you know? And then if you reach it, you get accepted. And if you don't, you, you can apply to two schools. Sorry, you can accept two schools. Um, so usually you accept one with a really high condition and one with a low condition or no condition. And you fall back on that one if you don't reach your first choice condition. And what was your condition? Um, I do not remember if I had a condition. because I had pretty good grades in high school. So if you had good grades in high school, that increased the likelihood that you didn't have a high condition or any condition at all. So maybe my condition, I think maybe one of the schools I got accepted in, I had a 12 or a 14 condition. Okay, yeah, we're going to get into those other schools <laughs> that you applied to a little bit later. Let's just get on to extracurriculars. So extracurriculars, did you approach them just like any other U.S. student? Were there clubs at your school, you know, sports at your school that you did? Yeah, so because we were in a French school, a lot of the clubs that we had were less um, – I'd say rigorous, like our version of the debate team was just meeting once a week in a classroom and debating. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like our teacher would just be like, what's better, Christmas or fall? (laughs) Debate. Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't as competitive. There weren't like very big national leagues or anything like that. But I was on the soccer team for four years. 
Um, I was on the debate team for four years. I did Model UN and um, Model UN and Harvard Model Congress. That was a little bit more established, I guess. Um, we actually went to Harvard to do this like Model Congress thing. Um, what else did I do? I played piano on the side. I was editor in chief of my school newspaper. Um, I started my own little club where we basically got together. Honestly, it ended up just being my friends <laughs> getting together and we called it Le Salon, um, which is like a reference to the Renaissance where there'd be um, these salons where philosophers would come in and discuss ideas. So it was kind of like a philosophy club. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I kept pretty busy in high school. <laughs> yeah, so I want to go through each of your extracurriculars and like what role you played and like, you know, how long you did them for. So with soccer, how long did you do it for? And then what position did you make it to? Like junior so varsity? I played varsity? for four years and I was pretty terrible. <laughs> I played an attack and I only scored one goal <laughs> over the course of the four years. Um, so I wasn't really high up, but I was, it, that one was mainly just for myself to play something, to have fun, to be on a mm -hmm. sports team. To exercise. So not everything you do in high school has to be for college admissions. <laughs> I was pretty terrible at that. And you did mention some clubs that were, that are just like other American high schools. You said Harvard? Uh, Harvard trial? Model Congress. Model Congress. Um, I did mock trial in college. That's why I messed up. Sorry. I did model UN and model Congress in high mm -hmm. school. Can you tell us about the Harvard model Congress? Is it like some sort of partnership your school has with Harvard to do this? Yeah. Harvard puts it on. So I think Harvard students put it on and it's like a model Congress. You simulate like congressmen in the house or in the Senate. Um, and they give you a topic and you have to go there, pretend to be a Senator or congressperson and debate it. Um, and I think Harvard puts on the competition. So many U.S. schools will go to Harvard when they host their tournament and just be part of that competition. Is that, That's interesting. Do they give you like a certain issue and you have to spend the school year like gathering and making your argument and yeah, then you go to not, that Congress? It's not that rigorous. I don't think I think we spent maybe a couple months, not like mm -hmm. the whole year preparing. I think mine was about like negative interest rates, which I did not know anything about and we were all incredibly unqualified to be debating like <laughs> it was just a bunch of 16 year olds mm -hmm. pretending like we knew economic policy but yeah you just went there it was fun it was like the intersection of like pretending to be a politician so kind of theatrical but also debating your policy and it's also interesting because for example I got a Republican which is not how I lean usually so mm -hmm. I had to get up there and be like super patriotic and a Republican and advocate for the viewpoints of the person I was representing, not necessarily myself. Mm -hmm. um, That's yeah. hard. <laughs> so the exact opposite as you. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, and with that model Congress, was it was it like a competition or more like a fun thing? Like, did certain schools win prizes or win? Yeah, you know, second, I think place? I. Um, yeah, I think it. I mean, it is a competition. It was also fun. Um, I got a. I think I got. Yeah, I got like an award. I don't know what it was, maybe like good congressman award. <laughs> the, mm -hmm. Basically, it's per committee. There are usually like different committees. Um, and there's a couple of people who get awarded. And I mm -hmm. got one. I don't think it was a huge part of my application, but I got an award. Yeah. Okay. And next one, too, I think you said Model UN. And I, I do, I'm not part of Model UN, but I do have friends and they do have some competitions that they go to. Like they go to, the nearest city to us and they actually like compete for a couple days I think in the year so can you describe what you did with model UN and what position did you hold in the club 
Yeah, so um, kind of similar to Model Congress. I did Model UN my freshman year, and then I did Model Congress the next year, so I only did Model UN a year. Um, we, since I grew up in New York City, it was kind of nice because we, our Model UN was at the United Nations headquarters in New York. Oh, wow. Um, and we went and we just, once again, we got a country and we had to um, research that country's position on a certain topic. Um, I actually got the United States and we had to advocate on behalf of the U.S. on issues about privacy versus security, which was once again quite interesting because I do not agree with the U.S.'s policy on how much data they're collecting on us. But we had to go in there and be like, look, we're defenders of freedom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we need to invade everyone's privacy for the security of the world, obviously. So, um, yeah, you just go into the UN and you um, advocate for the position of the country you're assigned. Usually you don't get the U.S. Usually you get like Azerbaijan or something. Mm -hmm. You get a smaller country, but yeah. And does the, so you said the United Nations headquarters, like the place that you're going to, do they look at all the schools that are going to be participating and then give each school a different one? Like, how do they decide which school you get, I mean, which country you get? I actually have no clue. I think because it was high school, it was our teachers who were organizing all the logistics. So mm -hmm. I wasn't really involved in like which tournament we went to or not. I think it's just if you are already if you're in a school that's based in New York City, um, you probably do the Model Congress in that New York City headquarters mm -hmm. since we're there, since we're right next to the UN. It's just 20 blocks down our school. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what other extracurriculars you, did you mention? You mentioned that you started your own club. So can you describe the process of that? Yeah, it was pretty easy at my school because, once again, it was a French school. So they were just kind of like, yeah do it yourself <laughs> like if we so long as we said we wanted to do something they let us so um my friend and I started this club um where it was essentially like a debate club but it was more about like um first getting the facts so like we do a little bit in the beginning like 15 minutes of like a fact sheet like for the gun issue we would um we had like a fact sheet about gun statistics we had a, a topic about gun violence in the United States um, and so there was like a fact sheet with like different facts that was kind of balanced on both sides, like pro and con. And then we'd spent the next like 45 minutes discussing that. Um, so it was a little bit kind of like debate, but it was more, it was less discussion. Advocacy. It wasn't like trying to win. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that was really fun. But again, that, that was just turned into our friends <laughs> going and eating cookies and discussing things. It wasn't as, um impactful as other clubs I guess mm -hmm. oh and I did student council that was a really big thing that I did well we have to know the really big things okay tell me about student <laughs> council how long did you do it for and what was student council at your school was it like you know managing the school's like events or was it more like you representing your school in the county or something yeah so I did student council for four years and eventually became the president of the student council and then within the student council there was like a very small group, like three, maybe five people, three or five people who also um, were on a board, kind of like a school board that mm -hmm. included students. I was one of the three or five students, um, the director of our school, teachers of our school and parents. And those were the people who um, made policy decisions by policy. I mean, like academic calendar, academic policies, dress code, things like that. So I was part of student council and that other thing for all four years. 
Um, so what did the members who were not part of the, like the big committee that you were talking about, what did they do? What, what role did they play? If you were not um, one of those like three, five students. So we had a lot of things that we did. Um, we established the policies that we wanted the other people in the smaller committee to advocate for. We also, we had a budget, kind of small looking back on it, <laughs> like two or $4,000, which sounds like a lot, but then it you seems get- seems like a lot to a high schooler. It yeah. is. Then you get to university and I think Brown's, at Brown, the um, UCS, the Undergraduate Council of Students has like a $3 million budget. <laughs> so that really changes your perspective. Wow. Yeah. Um, so we had a budget. We were like, let's replace the chairs. Uh, Honestly, the main thing we did was like advocate for our peers. So like, oh, this academic calendar is really bad. We have no breaks and people are suffering. Or like, wow, the chairs in this lounge are really bad. Or, hey. Ah, so you guys were like the student perspective telling the directors and the parents. Yeah, exactly. Sorry Mm -hmm. if that was clear. Um, Yeah, and I really like that. I think I always, I do poli-sci now. I always wanted to get kind of in politics. And that was like Mm -hmm. a little, (laughs) a mini version of politicking (laughs) for me where, I was there arguing with people or the president of the school or whatever. And I had fun. I would love to argue with some older adults too. All right. And when, and just a quick question, I guess about your school. So you say you went to a French school. Was it part of a County in New York or was it just its own thing? It was a private school. So it's, it's in New York city. It's on the Upper East side, but it was a private school. So I don't know. Um, yeah. Oh, so there wasn't like a bigger county like administration that like directed the schools. Oh, it was just you and your school. No, exactly. We did follow the um, guidance of public schools. For example, snow days. <laughs> we did whatever public schools did, but like calendars, um, policies, whatever, it was up to our school to independently um, impose. Oh, wow. Okay. That's that's very interesting. Your school sounds really, really (laughs) because I've never interviewed someone from such a school. Okay. And just to make it clear in your school, like I feel, I don't know in American schools. I mean, I'm in American school and they stress academics and extracurriculars like pretty equally, at least at my school for you. Was it kind of like the academics were hardcore and rigorous and the extracurriculars they were more laid back on? Um, Yeah, a little bit. I think that's what it would be if you were actually in France. If you were actually in France, you end school at 6 p.m., you go home and you sleep, <laughs> or like you do work and then you go to sleep. There, there isn't really that big focus. Since we were in New York City, there were more extracurricular offerings, but it was super common for people there like last year, or couple, last two years of high school, quitting something like the soccer team because they wanted to focus on their baccalaureate. Mm-hmm. Um, that like focus on extracurriculars is really American. And I think unless you wanted to go to a U.S. college or unless you were like really passionate about it, um, most people didn't do as many extracurriculars as many other American students. Like I was editor in chief of this newspaper and I was on the student council and I did a lot of extracurriculars, but that was definitely not the norm. Most people did a couple of things and then went home. (laughs) Were your parents ever confused? Like, what are these extracurriculars that you're doing? You should just be focusing on school. Um, my mom's very, very chill. So she was just kind of like, so long as you have your good grades and so long as you're happy, do whatever you want. (laughs) Um, yeah. Also, this is unrelated, but I had like little jobs that I do. Like 
I was a tutor and I was a babysitter. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that those aren't like the most integral part to college applications, but I think that those jobs did teach me a lot about like maturity, responsibility, just harnessed a lot of skills that are really useful. Um, And so even things like that, you can mention in your application. And especially if you're come from a very different background, like lower socioeconomic status, um, definitely highlight those because they're still valuable. And if you're putting a lot of time into that to make money, that's also incredibly valid. And you should still like, just because it's not an extracurricular in the conventional sense, doesn't mean that you didn't get a lot of great skills that will be highly um, like perceived super highly by the admissions office. Okay. And one more extracurricular that you talked about that seemed like kind of big was editor in chief. Again, as we've been doing, can you describe, you know, when you started how you like, I guess, climbed yourself up to that role and what were your responsibilities as editor-in-chief? Um, so I started by writing an article that was like about sexism in my school. <laughs> so I started off with a bang and just continued on with a bang. Whenever I get annoyed, I just write something. Like they changed the, the like branding of my school and I thought that it was super disingenuine and kind of like a cash grab. So I wrote an article about it. And since I was editor-in-chief, I put myself on the front page. <laughs> um, so I really, I like definitely angered the administration. I had like a couple, I also wrote an article about why kids should skip school. Because I thought that people were like so um, obsessed with their academics that they shouldn't be afraid to like sometimes skip school and like do others. Like I skipped a couple of days of school to go work on a, a midterm campaigns when the midterms happened in 2018. And so I had to skip school a couple of times to um, work on that campaign in Staten Island. And a lot of people were really judgmental about that because they're like, how could you sacrifice your academics to like. And so I wrote this article basically being like, there are other learning and educational experiences that are not within the classroom. And you shouldn't be so afraid of like missing one day of school. You have such an American mindset. (laughs) Because because from what you're describing, Yeah, yeah, you sound like you, yeah. you called them out. Okay, how did you not lose your position? Uh, I didn't lose my position, but they tried to like stop me from printing it, and so I had to go to like I had a talk with the with the director of our school, and then he read the article, and it was kind of nuanced. Like I added a paragraph. They made me add a paragraph that was like, but also if you party on the weekends, then that's not a valid excuse to skip school, which was like so pedantic and unnecessary, but whatever. <laughs> so I started off my links. Links is the name of the newspaper career by like, whenever I get annoyed, I just write for the newspaper. And eventually I, I don't know when, I think probably when I was a freshman, I became one of the editors in chief and I stayed until my senior year. And I just had to like read every article and edit them. And it was just articles more related to your school, like policies that your school released and such? Uh, No, there were students who wrote about anything. Um, Wow. Students who wrote like, oh, there was a volcano eruption or, oh, this math book is really interesting. Or then mine that are like, oh. Controversial. I studied abroad in Paris. That, That too. But like, this experience was really cool. This is why you should do it. It was it was a really cool experience. Like I, I mean, I enjoyed it. That's why I stayed. Oh, it sounds like you enjoyed us. I mean, I would love to just like type and release anything. That'd be amazing. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised you didn't lose your position. First of all, like I feel like most schools, if you called them out like that, they'd be like, no. Yeah, I think maybe that's a little bit the French in them that they're like, oh, she's annoying, but she has a point. <laughs> I don't know. They're like, they're not gonna restrict you as much as U.S. schools. I think. 
mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I guess I, can, I can't be the best judge since I didn't go to a U.S. school. No, I'm telling you, as a U.S. school, I think they wouldn't allow that. Hmm? Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like our school was a little bit more liberal and things like that. Oh, okay. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, so let's go on to I guess because the actual because we've gone through a few of your extracurriculars. Unless you want to elaborate on more any more extracurriculars. No, okay. So let's move on to the application portion. So you said you were considering some international schools in Europe. So. Let's first get that like out of the way and the application for that. And then we can get on to the U.S. application. So can you describe um, the, the UK? In- it's really straightforward. It's something called the UCAS. And you're bound to five schools. So you have to choose five schools to apply to. And you write one essay for all five of those schools. About what? Um, basically, you have to apply for a particular subject. So in my case, I applied for... I think PPE, politics, philosophy, economics. And so you write one essay that is not at all like the US essay. It's really academic. And it's like, look how smart I am. I got these test scores. I read these books. I did these clubs that will help me be the best politician or these clubs that will be me the best scientist. And that's it, right? It's like, I read these books. So you're literally just putting your achievements on a paper? Yeah. It's not like personal statement like they do in US? Not at all. Yeah, not at all. And so it's one page. It's like, look at all the things I've done. This is why I'm so smart. <laughs> this is why I'm so well-read. And this is why I will be the best blank. Is it even um, an essay or is it more of a resume? Like, are you actually writing a paragraph? Yeah, yeah, it's an essay. Um, and that gets sent to all five schools and then they get back to you. Like, it's really, really straightforward. Um, and then there's the U.S. application. That's obviously like so long. And yeah. well, Did you apply to any uh, French schools? No. I just applied to the UK ones and to the American ones. And which UK schools did you apply to? I don't even remember at this point. I know I applied to Oxford. Um, I applied to, I think, UCL, University College London, LSE, the London School of Economics, Manchester University, and then another one I can't remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's five. So I think we, I just filled up the five boxes. And when you say you're bound to these five schools, if a student doesn't get into any of those schools, do they wait till like next year? Yeah, I guess. I don't think that's super common. Mm-hmm. The acceptance rates in because you because everyone's bound to the to five schools, that makes all acceptance rates higher, if that makes sense. Like you won't get as many applicants. So proportionally, there's more acceptances. Um, okay. So I don't think it's super. You, it also forces students to be a little bit more realistic. And be like, look, I probably won't get into if I apply to all five that are super competitive. In fact, you're not allowed to apply to Oxford and Cambridge. You have to do one of the two. So um, they make it so that all universities are less competitive, but also you can't apply to as many. Okay, okay. So of the schools that you applied to in the UK, which ones did you get accepted or rejected from and if there's like a wait list then mention that too I also do not remember (laughs) I know that I got into Manchester and that was like my big one that it's like okay I got Manchester now I can apply to the U.S. schools and if that doesn't work out I'll just go to Manchester I think I got into either UCL or LSE Mm -hmm. um I think it was like a conditional thing but I think I got acceptance offers I think I also applied wrong to one of those two. Like I applied for one program, but my essay was about, like I applied to a law program, even though my essay was about politics. So I got disqualified just based off of that, which mm-hmm. was just 
no one told me I couldn't do that. My college counselor should have told me, but he didn't. So whatever. <laughs> and then I didn't get into Oxford. Um, but again, I think my, we were just really unprepared in my school. Like there was this test and everything that we had no clue about. And we just got to school and our school was like, oh, wait, you have to take this test. <laughs> so all of us had to take one unprepared. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we didn't have the best college advising, in my opinion. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so I didn't get into Oxford, but I still took the I still got a couple other offers mm-hmm. that ended up not being super memorable, obviously. <laughs> well, and just for comparisons, because. I mean, people listening to this podcast, I, they're mostly American, so they know how the American school system works and how expensive the colleges can get, like private schools. I mean, you're paying the, what is it? The sticker price is like 70000 something, right? But in comparison, can you just tell us what these UK schools would cost for an international student like you? So I'm not entirely sure, just because I never actually... Again, my circumstances are a little bit different. Since I'm an EU citizen, I think I would have a, I wouldn't pay as much as an American citizen. Oh, okay. um, but also now that there's Brexit, that's also changing. So it's really complicated. But I do, I think it'd be something around like 20K for an mm-hmm. international student, maybe like 27K, something like that, which is still a lot, but it's yeah. substantially less. And also this is like kind of a side note, but in terms of quality of life, like dorms and stuff if you go to the UK you get like a private room private bathroom mm-hmm. <laughs> you know whereas here you get like dingy dorm room dorms, like a roommate you've never met things like that so there is also a tiny like increase in quality of life but it'd be something like 20k maybe for like minute. the whole cost of it yeah tuition I think tuition and room I'm not sure about room and board mm-hmm. I also have um a sort of like a grant because my parents work at the United Nations. So the UN, the United Nations covers a part of my education. So that, that also means I don't have the best grasp on how much it would cost because it costs me close to zero in the UK because wow. they cover everything. Whereas in the US, they cover maybe like 30K and then my parents pay the rest. That's still amazing. So, yeah, so kids of people who work at the United Nations get some sort of discount? Um, depends on your parents' contract, but in my mom's contract, yeah, there is like a, a grant. Yeah. Well, that's incredible. Okay. Let's go into the American schools that you applied to. Can you first list the schools that you're applying to and what were you kind of looking for in a school, in an American school? Um, I just, I did it based off where I thought I would be happy. <laughs> so I did, um, where did I apply? I applied to Brown, Columbia, Stanford, Harvard, and Georgetown. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you have any safeties? Manchester. <laughs> oh, Manchester was your safety. Yeah. I got in really early, like in October, I already had my acceptance. So I was like, oh, if I don't get into any US ones, I'll just go to Manchester. Oh, so you were perfectly like kind of willing to go to the UK because all those schools that you mentioned, they're really, really selective. So you were like fine with getting in, going to the UK? I also was very... Um, I don't know if logical is, I think people think I'm crazy, but I think I'm kind of reasonable. I calculated my, the chances that I got denied by all five of those schools. So like, if you take their rejection rate, Mm -hmm. if you, yeah, if you take the rejection rate, so if there's a 5% acceptance rate, the rejection rate is like 95. And then you multiply all of those five rejection rates, you get like 
the chances of you getting rejected by all of those schools. And I, I think I came up with something like I had a 20% chance of getting rejected by all five. So I had an 80% chance of getting into at least one of those schools. And I was like, those are pretty good chances. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where did you get your math from? It works out. Trust me. <laughs> Basically, if you calculate the rejection, the likelihood of getting rejected by all five was relatively low. It was like 20%. So I was like, huh, I have like an 80% chance of getting into at least one. That's incredible. Okay. So let's go on to your actual college application. Did you apply Common App for everything? Yeah. Okay. And what did you write your big essay about, which you said is much different than the UK essays where you just list your accomplishments? Yeah. I wrote it about being um, multilingual. So I speak English and French and Spanish and Italian. And I wrote it about how like in every language I have a tiny bit of an accent or I get some words wrong or change a couple Mm -hmm. things. And so I never fit in in any culture, but how that also by not fitting in, I get to experience so much of the world, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Something like I was able to embrace my voice, even though as a kid, I got made fun of it. But you went to a French school, didn't you? Yeah, I wasn't French. I had a really thick Spanish accent when I was little and I couldn't speak French the first years. Yeah. I wouldn't even say my name because my name is Margarita, which in Spanish is Margarita and in, in French is and I couldn't make that sound. So people would ask me what my name was and I just shut up, which made me look really stupid. But I just didn't want to say it. Do you speak French, Spanish, Italian and English? Yeah. So that was like my big essay thing. Oh, wow. Okay. You so you grew up. So your parents are completely different. And you grew up learning both Spanish and Italian. Yeah, Spanish with my mom, Italian with my dad. Wow, okay. Are the languages very similar? Because I'm learning Spanish yeah. right now. They are? They're pretty similar. If you, you'll probably be able to understand the other if you speak one of them or if you've studied them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now let's get on to, I guess we can say last thing is recommendation letters before we find out which schools you got accepted into. So recommendation letters, I don't know. How did your school handle them? Who did you get them from? Did you have like a guidance counselor that gave everyone a recommendation letter? Um, I just asked two of my teachers. One of them was actually a French teacher and that letter was written in French and had to get translated professionally. So Mm -hmm. I just asked two of the teachers that I like. I didn't put a ton of thought into it. I just was like, oh, I like these two teachers the best. (laughs) Let me ask them. Um, Yeah, I didn't put a ton of thought into it other than choosing the ones I really liked and cared for. So those are the people you should ask, the ones who actually yeah. care for you and want to see you succeed. Okay, so which of the five, you said five schools that you applied to, which ones did you get accepted, deferred, and rejected from? So I got into Brown and Georgetown. I got waitlisted at Columbia, and then I got, I applied early to Stanford, was deferred and then rejected, and then I got rejected from Harvard. So two and a half out of five. <laughs> and how did you choose between the schools that you got accepted into in America, how did you make your decision on which one you went to? Um, so I didn't want to stay in New York. So I didn't really care about Columbia. I, I don't think I accepted my spot on the wait list. I like didn't even accept it. Um, and then I was picking between Georgetown and Brown. And um, there's a couple of reasons why I chose Brown. One of them was honestly the money. Brown was $10,000 less expensive. Per year? per year yeah um another one was I saw like this list 
I went to the admit students weekends and I saw this list and Brown topped the list of like the happiest students in the world in, in the United States. Um, and then I went to Georgetown and there was a lot of talk about how there's a lot of stress culture and like lack of sleep, et cetera. And I was like, well, <laughs> what would I rather be overworked or happy? And I was like, I want to be happy. So let me go to Brown. Um, and also I had the thought process. I got into the school of foreign service at Georgetown and I kind of had a little moment where I was like, I'm probably going to do politics and live in DC at some other point in my life. I don't need to spend my college years here. Let mm -hmm. me go somewhere different, like a nice campus kind mm -hmm. of in the middle of nowhere. Like now's the time to do something different. Um, and so, yeah, I just like Brown. I thought people were nice and they're really nice, happy, talkative. Um, you can feel happy when you're around campus. Mm -hmm. So I chose, and it's also less expensive. Oh, and also a really big thing. I looked at the Georgetown dorms and they were really bad. <laughs> like really? There's, this, there's this account that is called I don't, Georgetown Trash. I don't know what it is anymore. Something like that. And it's just pictures of like floods, garbage overspills, bugs, like terrible, terrible. And I was like, I cannot to live in a place where like, If you look it up, there's even articles from Georgetown's like newspaper that's like mold, collapsing ceilings. It was just so bad <laughs> that I was like, I can't live <laughs> in these environments. Um, even on the day that I went, which was like parents weekend, like their big cell day, they, um, it was like a bug, <laughs> which I know is not that big of a deal, but like, A, I have a really big phobia of bugs mm -hmm. and B, that's like cleanest the dorms will ever be the weekend where parents come and they're trying to sell the school so, so imagine when it's not its cleanest mm -hmm. that ends part one of my interview with margarita make sure to subscribe so you know when part two comes out check out my blog collegerealitycheck.com down in the description for more college related content but other than that i hope to see you in the next one